everyone. This is Sarah McFarland from Inside Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today's episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Scott Hall from the University of Toledo, who recently joined us for a webinar on impulsive behaviors that are commonly associated with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, or ADHD. Dr. Hall's lab investigates the genetic and environmental determinants of susceptibility to addiction and related psychiatric disorders. His long-standing interest in the underlying mechanisms that lead to the development of psychopathology has contributed to the advancement of models used to identify novel targets for the treatment of psychiatric disorders. Okay, so we're going to kick off the Q&A here with the first question from Elizabeth. She is asking, how long does it take to train mice for the five-choice test? Thanks, Elizabeth, for asking that. I sort of skipped over the details of that. Any of you who are familiar with the five-choice task knows that it takes a very long period of time to train the animals, often five to six weeks. However, my graduate students, based upon a number of recent publications, tried to accelerate that training. So basically, he did mass trials for essentially as long as the animals would stay motivated. So basically, 100 trials at a time. But he did that three times a day. So he was able to reduce the training phase of the five-choice reaction time task down to about a week. So it was maybe a week to 10 days in the animals that were a little bit slow. And this included both the heterozygous knockout mice and the wild-type mice. And there didn't seem to be a difference in the time of the training between them. And and this was actually something that was important to us. Uh, One of the things I've ignored here, too, is that this is a disorder that we commonly treat in adolescence, in children. So we really should not be studying this in adult mice at all. All the mice I was talking about were adults. We should be studying in adolescence. But when we started all of this, the training would take five to six weeks. So once he was able to get it down to a week, we were able to actually do an assessment in adolescence. And I didn't report that data here, but what it appears is that in the adolescents, they show greater attentional deficits than the adults do, which is interesting because that's also a pattern you see in humans where some of the deficits tend to get better a little bit as humans get older. Great. And that's something that's going to be really exciting once you guys get that training down to a week, which you have. I think those studies will become really a little bit more elucidating in the impulsive behavior. So that's really fantastic. Okay, so moving on to our next question. This question is from Frank. Do the heterozygous knockouts show the same changes in circuitry as the homozygous knockouts? So, yeah, uh, good question. We do not really know. The one study that really looked extensively at that, actually all of the studies that looked at circuitry at all. So, so there were several others I did not mention, but the RMA study and the Lee study All of those only looked at the homozygous mice. So we don't really know what's going on in the heterozygous mice, which which, which is interesting. If you look with voltammetry at dopamine release, you see very subtle changes. So that was work of Sarah Jones from back in the 90s. So the heterozygous mice definitely show some effects upon dopamine. But whether that extends to some of the broader changes we see in the homozygous mice, uh, I can't really say. 
Okay. Our next question is from Stephanie. She is asking, do you think that cliff avoidance reaction tasks could be a model of reflection impulsivity rather than motor impulsivity? Maybe, but I don't think so. So motor impulsivity, the idea is you have kind of a prepared response. The go, no go is like very characteristic of that, right? You have the inherent bias towards responding. And because of the bias, there's the tendency to go. With reflection impulsivity, the idea overall there is, again, that you act before you carefully consider the circumstance. And I think of the down knockouts here that it's some other type of executive function because I think they are carefully considering the circumstance. They're just weighing the potential outcomes differently, either their probabilities of occurring or how bad different consequences could be. And part of the way I think about this is through ADHD patients that I've seen. So like a few years ago, we were up at camp, which is what people in Michigan call their kind of summer homes. And it was on a lake and we were out kayaking. And my son had brought along a friend of his who had ADHD. And he was basically taking a vacation for the week from his ADHD medication, which meant that his symptoms got worse. And we were out kayaking and I saw him paddling furiously into in front of this boat. So it was a speedboat going about 30 or 40 miles per hour. And I yelled at him to stop. He was absolutely convinced that he could go fast enough to beat the speedboat. And this, this is kind of what I think happens in a lot of children with ADHD. It's that they're weighing the potential outcomes differently. So I don't think it's necessarily reflection impulsivity in the way that we usually think of that. Okay, that makes sense. We have another question here from Kermit. Um, do the DAT knockout mice have normal cannabinoid receptor expression, like protein and mRNA levels? No, we do not. No, sorry, we do not know. That is definitely something we have not looked at at all. And to be honest, it's not something I had considered looking at. It's an interesting question. My friend Emmanuel, who I, I was on the was viewing this earlier, I'm sure would scold me for failing to think about that. But no, that, that would be very interesting to look at and uh, relatively easy too. Well, it's funny that you mentioned Emmanuel because he has put in a question here. And so I'll, I'll address that one now. He says, with FDA approval of CBD for epilepsy, is there a role for the endocannabinoid system in ADHD? And if so, what is the effect of cannabinoids in the DAT knockout mice? We're getting into all those questions where it ends and I don't know. Hopefully I can say something a little bit more interesting. I don't know. There's an interesting point there. When I think of nicotine and ADHD, I think of self-treatment, particularly for some of the cognitive uh, effects of ADHD. There's definitely a higher usage of cannabinoids among children with ADHD. I'm not convinced that it makes them better. So that may be more a matter of their decision-making or their impulsive behavior it makes them more likely to use drugs during adolescence, and also not thinking about long-term adverse outcomes. But I, I would not want to exclude the possibility that some cannabinoid use among children with ADHD is self-medication. It may be that it's self-medication for different symptoms from some of the other drugs. So when I think of the nicotine, I definitely think of cognitive symptoms. It may be some of the other symptoms that they might use cannabinoids for. So I, I wouldn't want to exclude that possibility. Okay. So this last question is from Edward. He's asking, do you expect the PPI deficits to be related to PFC dysfunction as opposed to early sensory areas? And if so, how? 
I don't think we have enough evidence to say where the effect is mediated. So certainly modulation of that corticostriatal circuit or the striatopalatal output circuit has been shown to affect PPI. So there's a descending circuit that runs through all of that down to some of those lower circuits. So I could certainly see the effects being mediated at a higher level, but I don't think I have enough evidence to say one way or the other where that effect might be mediated. The nisoxetine in the prefrontal cortex did have an effect. So, I mean, that is that is showing that, that the higher level part of the circuit is modulating the lower levels. So that doesn't rule out some involvement of other structures, of course, but at least that area is involved. hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune in to future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work, offer tips, tricks, and best practices, but most of all, share science. Don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.